You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome, welcome to another episode of Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. I am your host, Dr. Jeff Werber, here with you for 30 minutes, and it goes fast. So we want you to call in. I'm here to help you with your pets, answer your questions, talk about anything you want to talk about your pets. And uh, that number is 877-385-8882. You can also just send me a quick text to Dr. Jeff, drjeff at PetLifeRadio.com, and we are on PetLifeRadio.com. And um, just, of course, want to thank our sponsors, ProSense Pet Products. And uh, just, you know, coming off a good week. I actually, it's funny. I um, got a call a couple of weeks ago from a woman. I was actually at the American Veterinary Medical Association trade show in Chicago when I get this call. And this woman is researching an article for The Hollywood Reporter. They were doing an entire issue on celebrities and their pets, which is really great because it, it, it sort of brings light on the fact that how common and popular pets are. So it was fun. So we talked about it and they had gotten my name, I guess, from some of the, the, the celebrities that interviewed. And so we talked, we chatted for, oh, I don't know, about uh, maybe 20 minutes. We talked about some of the, the celebs and I, you know, I don't like to really talk much about them. I think there's a certain element of privacy that they kind of want to keep and, and I respect that. But, you know, she did get my name from one of them. So it actually worked out pretty well. And I said, just don't make it, you know, if you want to write about it, that's great. Just don't make it too cheesy. Anyway, it was, I think it was pretty well done. If you want to go read it for yourselves, you can go on to HollywoodReporter.com and in the search bar, just put in Jeff Werber. And um, it was a nice, you'll see Judy Greer on the front. And, you know, I'm sure when you see her, she's done tons of TV and tons of movies. And she's great. She's got a, an amazing, huge American bulldog named Buckley. And, and, you know, it's so cute because, as I often say, as opposed to kids going to the pediatrician and hating it. I mean, sometimes I'll walk into a room with a white, you know, smock, a, you know, a white lab coat and a stethoscope draped around my neck. And if there's a little kid there, they start crying. And even though I'm not even there for them. And, uh, and yet the dogs will see me and they'll come charging up and jump up on me and give me major tongue. And uh, I said, it's really fun. Well, Buckley is one of those dogs. He loves coming in here. And, uh, you know, it, it's fun because I always say there's no better PR than having a walking a doctor walking out into a busy waiting room and having the dogs just absolutely jump all over. I said that is the best thing in the world, and um, and that's you know what we get. I say I say the vast majority of my uh, patients love coming in, which is great. So anyway, it was a fun article. Talked about some of the celebs, and clearly there are some names that they she didn't mention that she had. So I know they must fact check them, and they must call some of these celebs and say, you know, would you mind if? And um, I'm sure there were a few that said no because there were some nice, nice names I had in there. But you know what? They didn't mention it. I'm not going to mention it. But you know, one of you, one of the things, that, and a point I made to her was this: that it's pretty hard to practice in Los Angeles, in Beverly Hills, you know, in Hollywood, and not have celebrities come in your door. So I hate when they use them, you know, the moniker, the, the celebrity vet, because it's really not accurate, because there are so many you know, veterinarians here that do have celebrities come in their door. So it's not a big deal. But it, you know, it is fun, because it was one celebrity that walked in. And you know, we're talking major celebs. They're not made up. They kind of fit right into a crowd. And this particular one actually did fit in pretty well into the crowd. And I obviously recognized her right away. I knew who she was. And uh, she had a dog, a little chihuahua, and she was checking for pregnancy. 
The dogs had bred. They actually didn't really want to breed her. They were waiting to have her fixed, and they missed the boat. And uh, so there was some concern whether or not she was bred. So um, she was here for an ultrasound. And sure enough, the male, he, he had what it took because she was pregnant. So there is one of my technicians who's actually a veterinarian from Argentina. And he was here spending a few years with me going through the very long, arduous process to get licensed in the United States. And he's very good. He practiced in Argentina for like seven years. I mean, truly, he knew what he was doing. He was a you know, really good veterinarian already. And uh, he goes just going through the motions and, and getting some more training and some his surgery. He didn't do as much surgery as we do as a general practitioner in Argentina. So he's helping me during the ultrasound. And he is standing literally right next to and holding the dog for the ultrasound of this particular celeb. And at the uh, end, I guess as soon as she opened her mouth and started asking me questions. She definitely has a certain recognizable, call it a raspiness to her voice. And he like had an expression on his face like, holy cow, I am standing right next to this person. And it was really, really amusing. And so when she left, he says to me, he goes, Dr. Werber, how come you didn't tell me? And I said, well, I I didn't think it was something I really needed to share. I just, you know, she was here helping us and she wanted to be in the room while she had her, uh, the ultrasound done. So anyway, I just thought it was really, really comical. Anyway, it's a nice article. If you want to go online, it's the uh, hollywoodreporter.com search bar, throw in Jeff Werber and you'll kind of read, have a little fun. So if you remember last week, I think I mentioned about this one dog we did a splenectomy on. And um, it was touch and go for a while. It unfortunately did come back as a cancer. So we, at this point, we know we're kind of sitting on a time bomb. But I have to tell you, the, she was really slow getting back on her feet in the sense of getting that rebound effect that now that the source of the blood loss has been removed, that we need to see a response by the bone of making new red blood cells. And I've seen it as early as three days, maybe five days. And this dog actually was still losing some of the red cells. And I'm thinking now, my God, because this tumor, maybe the dog is already going through some immune changes and starting to eat up her own red blood cells, which would be a, a total different disease that we'd have to deal with. And they had called me on Sunday night and told me that she's really kind of still weak. And mind you, surgery was on Thursday and a Friday and a Saturday, Sunday. You know, I mean, it was only three days. But I told her, I said, look, it could take, you know, three is early. I tell people usually five to seven days. So whatever, she uh, called me Sunday night, very, very concerned. I said, I'll tell you what, I want you to be at my office first thing in the morning. I'm going to have my text. I'll call ahead, have them do what's called a PCV, a packed cell volume. It's a little blood count to see kind of where we're at. And I get in the morning and I rush in. I said, has Lola been brought in yet? And they go, no, she's not here yet. I'm saying, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Now I'm thinking the worst. Something happened at night. Maybe they had to rush her back to an emergency. So all of a sudden, we're um, asking around. I'm about to pick up the phone to call her. And one of my receptionists said, oh, Lola's up front. So I walk out and I'm telling you, it's like a new dog. I mean, whatever was kicking in, it obviously kicked in sometime during the night because in the morning, she got up, she met the owners at the door, she wanted her walk, her gums were nice and pink again, and I knew that she was going to ultimately have this response because what we do is we measure something called a reticulocyte count. A reticulocyte count are sort of baby, immature red blood cells that the bone marrow is kicking out in response to the severe anemia. The body recognizes the blood loss. The body recognizes 
that there are not enough red cells to keep all the bodily functions happy. Remember, red cells carry oxygen. So they're extremely important. And when we have a lack or a low count of low red cell count, we have what's called anemia. And with anemia, usually comes sluggishness, depression, inappetence. Why? Because these dogs just don't have any energy because the red cells are not carrying enough oxygen for the key organs like the brain, like the liver, like the pancreas, like the digestive tract, etc. And in a sense, the body kind of goes into shock. So it's so critically important to have enough red cells. So when we took blood two days after the surgery, we saw that there was a very high reticulocyte count. So we know that there were plenty of baby cells out there. We know that the body was reading the fact and responding to the fact that we had this anemia from the surgery and the blood loss and the bleeding spleen, but it had not yet reflected on the red cell count. So anyway, it happened. This dog was great. The the packed cell volume count went up almost like six points, five points in one day. It was just fascinating. And um, so it worked really, really well. And um, anyway, this dog is great. And, you know, these are the happy ending stories. Obviously, long term, this dog is going to probably go before its time because it was tumor. And this particular tumor called hemangiosarcoma will spread, has a tendency to spread to the liver and to the lungs. But in the meantime, we're going to do some chemo. The dog is doing great. We bought this dog a decent amount of time. And I'm just so thrilled to be a part of that. And, you know, I often tell clients, I'm the first to admit, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and I, I love it. And, but I'm the first, and I don't kid myself. And as I often tell a client that the vast majority of our patients that we treat are getting well in spite of us, not necessarily because of us. In other words, I might be the vehicle through which we provide that supportive care, the vehicle through which we you know, can give some of the medication, but ultimately, it's the body that's taking care of itself. And sometimes it needs a little more time, but during that time, we have, but it wasn't like my direct hand that saved the life. But when you have a bleeding tumor, when you have a humongous mass, things like this that are going on, when you remove something through some amazing surgery or you put a, an animal back together that was badly mangled or hit by a car or something, you fix those broken ribs, you fix that diaphragm, etc. That's what makes this all so much fun. That's what makes it so great. So when you get a case that you can truly like look in the mirror and say, if it were not for me that this pet wouldn't be here, it's just a great feeling. And uh, when I'm thinking about Lola, it's one of those cases where I know that we had a good hand in helping her along. And just to see how getting her energy back and how she's responding to the kids and how the kids are responding to her, that's what makes it all just so worth it. So anyway, I need to take that proverbial break here in our show. I want to thank, once again, ProSense Pet Products, our sponsors. I want you to get the courage, the guts to give us a call at 877-385-8882. Don't be shy. And when we come back, I do have a client, LaShawn, who did send us an email. Actually, sent me an email. And we talked on the phone for, uh, oh, about 20 minutes. And I'm going to share the conversation, the questions she had. So hopefully you can learn from someone else's email. And honestly, I hope you all learn from me and from other phone calls that I get because we like to share this information because when it happens to you, I want you to say, oh my God, I remember when Dr. Warber talked about that on the Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff radio show here on Pet Life Radio. And we'll be back in just a few minutes. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Your dog digs a hole under your fence, and the next thing you know... 
Protect your pets with Dig Defense, the amazing new product that keeps your pets in the yard. Dig Defense is safe, fast, and easy. Each unit is made from 4-gauge galvanized American steel and can be used for repairing digouts, filling gaps, or to hold fences down so pets can't get under them. Dig Defense provides peace of mind that your pets are contained humanely and safely. Visit digdefense.com today. D-I-G-D-E-F-E-N-C-E.com. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well-read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. Audible.com makes it easy to stay well-informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well-read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership Plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to audibledeals.com. That's audibledeals.com. This year, Americans are expected to spend a jaw-dropping $36 billion on their pets. From lighted leashes to high-end spa products, the discriminating pet owner can find just about anything to pamper his or her pet. Hi, this is Michelle Fern. Join me every week for Best Bets for Pets, where we'll talk about the latest pet products and talk to the companies that make them. Best Bets for Pets, every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back to Best Best with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Werber. As these 30 minutes, now down to 15, goes so quickly. And before the break, I mentioned that I got a, uh, an email from a listener. And, uh, and it's great. And she writes, she starts off by, I'm a new listener. I love to hear that. So anyone that you know that's new, old, indifferent, whatever, we want them to tuning in to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. And as I said, this is a really interesting question, and I want to share it with you because that way, hopefully, you'll learn from the answer I gave her. And, um, you know, I'm still old-fashioned. As you can tell by my talking nonstop here on a radio show, I love to talk. So when given the opportunity to talk to somebody either in person or on a phone, I'd much rather do that than start texting and answering back and forth with emails. I don't have time for that. I am so much more efficient and so much faster, and that's why I talk so fast. If you could just give me a call, and we'll talk on the phone. So I'm a new listener. I have two one-year-old tuxedo cats, and I have a couple of questions. I call in, but I'm not sure your shows are currently live, which they are. And I'm at work when they're on anyway. So I was a bit worried about my male cat. He's always had some quirky behavior, so it's hard to judge, but his nose looked a bit pale to me. I had two tuxedos many years ago, the female, Lee, which I adopted a few years after the male. The female went blind within the first year I had her. Her blood was like Kool-Aid, ah, very thin blood, that means anemia. She was in pain, and I had her laid to rest without the minimal satisfaction of knowing what made her so ill. And I feel terribly about cases like that because I think we've learned so much more. And I think there, when you don't get answers from a GP, if your GP doesn't know, the worst thing that they can do 
is nothing. Either you get answers, you learn, you read, you go to continue education, and you know how to handle this. I can almost guarantee that this was a blood parasite, which is very, very common in cats. It's a hemobartonella called feline infectious anemia, and I haven't even met this cat. And as soon as I hear a young cat with Kool-Aid blood, that's the first thing that comes to mind. And it is treatable to a degree. It is certainly diagnosable. And so when things aren't done and and the veteran just doesn't know what to do and doesn't refer this cat to a specialist, it just irks me. It kills me because I feel so badly for both the owner and, of course, for Lee, the cat. So she was later told by another vet that it could have been FELV, and I would buy it. That's also a possibility. Since I adopted her from a rescue organization and had her vaccinated, luckily my male cat, Ty, didn't contract it and lived until 17 and a half years old. That's fantastic. I'm not sure what he died of either, though the symptoms were not the same. So I'm sure that it was – when you live to 17, you know, it could be just good old, old age, and that's a blessing. Again, I get very philosophical in my old age. I'm definitely a glass half full person. I'm not looking and wondering why at 17 and a half, what went wrong. I'm saying, holy cow, 17 and a half. That's fantastic. And, uh, you know, I think that right then and there, you should just feel blessed that you have a cat that made it that long. Anyway, with the two one-year-old male and female tuxedos I currently have, I was worried about the male having FPLV. As he seemed a bit tired recently, lacking appetite a bit, and his nose looked pretty pale for a while. They are both from separate litters, and the animal hospital I adopted, the female from tested all of her siblings, and I decided the whole litter was FELV negative. The male, however, has more of a mystery for his history and no siblings they were aware of when they found him. So he could be a solo cat. When I inquired the other day, I was told by one of the animal hospitals that the FELV was a separate test from the FERCP, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Considering FELV is very contagious and deadly from what I've read, why is it not only a separate vaccination? I think that's what she meant when she said test. But why do I find that I'm not told of this, given the option of having the test and or vaccination done so I can make an informed decision rather than take such a risk? Any help you could give would be appreciated. Thank you. And her name is LaShawn. And uh, so here is the point. First of all, one should realize that when you are adopting cats or kittens, it's very important, especially if you have other cats in the household. To know as best you can, and, I, and I'll specify what I mean by that, whether or not the FELV and FELV negative, excuse me, FELV and FIV negative, that's feline leukemia virus, and the FIV is feline immunodeficiency virus. So FIV is more like HIV, it's feline immunodeficiency, and the leukemia virus is also a virus, it's an RNA virus that seems to create immunodeficiency as well. We used to say that it was the closest thing to the human HIV until FIV was discovered, and FIV is even closer than FELV to the human immunodeficiency, the HIV virus. So one thing that we know is that there's no vaccine, and certainly one that I would recommend, that combines the FVRCP, which is the feline vaccine for rhinotracheitis, Khaleesi virus, and panleukopenia. That's the FVRCP. That's your basic cat vaccine, which takes care of most of the upper respiratories and panluke, which is cat fever. To that, many vets add one to that, which we do, and that is the pneumonitis vaccine. So it's the FVRCP slash PNE for pneumonitis. And that is also an upper respiratory infection that's actually caused by a bacterium as opposed to a virus. And that's the basic core vaccine in an area because these are often air susceptible. And I recommend at least as kittens getting these shots. Now, when you think about rabies and leukemia, 
unfortunately, there is no really uh, a proved good vaccine for FIV, but there certainly is a, a vaccine for FELV, and that is a vaccine that we recommend for cats that are at risk. Now, what do I mean by that? Your typical indoor cat or an indoor cat that goes out for walks on a harness, that goes outside into a covered patio or screened-in patio, to me, that's not at risk. And I don't believe that these cats should be given, randomly given, leukemia vaccines unless there are other cats in this cat's household that do truly go outdoors. So not only should they, of course, be vaccinated, but in those circumstances, I would also vaccinate the other indoor cats that may be associated with that one or two outdoor cats. Now, the rabies, depending on where you live, in certain states, it is required even for completely 100% indoor cats, since my feeling is that an indoor cat is not going to get rabies. It's very unlikely that it's going to be mingling, playing with a rabid bat, raccoon, squirrel, you name it. So, it's unlikely they need the vaccine. And I'm one of these guys that feels that less is more when it comes to vaccines. There are many out there, experts that truly believe as well that if you have an indoor cat and it's been healthy, that after a certain age, maybe five or six, there's some out there that believe that cats don't need any more vaccines at all because by that age, their immune systems are pretty well developed. I'm a little nervous about that one. You, there are some tests that you can do called titers to measure existing antibody for the diseases you're going to be protecting against uh, via the vaccine, see if there's still ample immunity, antibody protection. And if there is, don't vaccinate. And if there isn't, then you go ahead and vaccinate. So I think that's a, a logical choice. But now when it comes to leukemia testing, this is where I think LaShawn maybe you know was given not wrong information, but it wasn't clear enough. When you have a cat that's under 16 weeks of age, I don't know if I would trust the leukemia test. Now, if you have no other cats at home and the kitten is acting totally perfect, I'd wait. Wait till they're four months of age. That way, you'll more likely yield an accurate result. If there are other cats in the house and you are worried, even though the cat only met me, I would go ahead and test. Now, if the test is positive, first of all, not a death sentence, don't panic, but I would 100% keep this new kitty away from the other cats. No grooming each other, no sharing food or water bowls, no playing, no saliva, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If the test is negative, it means that for now, on the day of this test, we are negative. I would still recommend a follow-up test once the kitty turns four months or four and a half months of age. In other words, I trust a test done after four months, but I don't trust a test if it's before four months. So I think that's important to know. So make sure when it comes to things like this, you need to talk to your veterinarian to really have a game plan. What's the lifestyle of the cat going to be? Where do you live? Do you live in the country? Do you live in the city? What's the situation of other diseases in that area? These are all the little things that we really need to be responsible about and no answers because we need to help you decide and you need to know what are the best vaccines to give that cat that kitten, which test to do, what are the circumstances, when, why, what, where, when, and how. And that's what it all boils down to. So I just don't want to, I definitely want to thank LaShawn. We are going to send LaShawn out a free gift from ProSense. And that is true for any of you, any of you that give us a call, any of you that send me an email with a question. I will answer your question on air and also will send you out a gift, a free product 
from ProSense. Thank you very much for uh, your participation and your calling us here at Pet Life Radio. Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. So other than that, I hope you guys are uh, braving the summer. I have Interestingly, we've, I've had two cases of, of rattlesnake bites because a lot of our clients will hike into the hills. I've had, fortunately, no cases yet, and I should knock on wood, this year of heat stroke. I think you know, the more we get out there, the more we educate the masses about the dangers of the high temperatures, the heat stroke, and the dangers of exercising your pets during the middle of the day, the dangers of leaving them outside without water, ample water and shade, the dangers of leaving them in cars, even if you run inside or to, a, to drop something off at a friend's house for three minutes, how dangerous that could be. So we have had much more responsible pet owners out there that are really doing a bang-up job keeping their pets healthy. The toughest thing we have is the pet that gets overheated, even here in the hospital, you know, a lot of times coming out of surgery. I have a, I would never call it a specialty, but I do see a lot of bulldogs. I see the Old English, English, Frenchie, American, and a lot of these, what we call brachycephalic breeds. These are breeds like the Shih Tzu and the Lhasa and the Pug and the Japanese Chin and you, the, you name it. Uh, the peaks that have these pushed in little squishing faces, they definitely have a tougher time recovering from anesthesia. They have that natural difficulty when it comes to air exchange. And you need to be very cautious. And this is for the veterinarians out there. And you, as pet owners, don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed to ask the staff at your veterinary hospital, do they, are they aware of some of the intricacies and nuances in treating these short-faced breeds? And that's how I ended up with so many bulldogs as patients because I am a, a Frenchie owner myself and I have two of them and these are the things you need to know. We need to leave that intracheal tube in longer than they would for uh, a regular dog. We want that dog almost almost looking at you and saying, okay, doc, you can take the tube out now because if you take it out too early and they're on their side and they're very relaxed with those elongated soft palates they have, they can literally, literally go anoxic on you. And that means they can stop breathing. So then the more they, they pant and the more they, the, the harder they work, the temperature goes up, the hotter that they get, the more they work, the, the harder they work, it's a vicious cycle. All because some simple precautionary measures weren't taken initially coming out of anesthesia. So make sure that you, you can ask. I have people all the time. When I'm doing greyhounds, for example, or any dog that has a, you know, something a little, a quirk. When it comes to a surgical procedure, when it comes to anesthesia, ask me now, now, Doc, have you worked on these before? Because, you know, I'm told or I read that they have such and such problem. It is not an unfair question to ask your doctor. And uh, either the doctor is going to get online and and learn about it pretty quickly or he's going to say, yes, oh, no, we see them all the time. I'm fully aware. Or he might say, you know, God, no, I didn't know about this. And uh, maybe you should have a, a specialist do this procedure. So. Wherever the case may be, it's a lot worse. I think, and you know, a lot of veterinarians are so afraid to do that. They're afraid to say, you know, I'm not sure. And they think that what gets veterinarians in trouble, in my book, is they do know what they know and they do know what they don't know. It's not knowing what they don't know. In other words, they think they know it, they think they have the answer, yet they're way out in left field. They are not even close. And that's when the problems erupt, is when they thought they knew and didn't know. Better to know for sure what you know and know for sure what you don't know. If you know you don't know it, you you refer. If you know it, you do it. But when you don't know what you don't know and you try it and it fails, uh, it's a lose-lose. Anyway, our time is just about up. I want to thank you all for tuning in with me here at Ask the Vet with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. 
I will be back with you next Thursday. Once again, the number, don't lose it. Call me at the early at the top of the show, 877-385-8882. You can go ahead and send me an email to drjeff at petliferadio.com. You can also send me an email to drjeff at drjeff.com. That's drjeff at drjeff.com. As LaShawn did, I will get your question. I will call you. Make sure you leave me a phone number. We'll talk about your problem. We'll answer your question. And we're going to read you on air live and get you a free product from ProSense Pet Products. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you next week. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.